Well, good morning. Great to see you. I just want to say welcome back after the summer. Welcome back to a new term at King's. And uh, I hope you've had a chance to have a bit of a rest over the summer. I know it's not always the case for everybody, but I hope you've, you've had some good times and had a good rest and, um, and that you're raring to go for this, for this term ahead. And I do want to, in particular, welcome anybody who's new to the church. We often welcome a lot of new people in September. We'll have students coming in a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, if you're new, we just want you to know that you're so welcome. We're so glad you're here. And, you know, if this is where God is calling you to be for however long you're here in High Wycombe, um, we want you to feel at home as quickly as possible. So as Neil said, today's a kind of a different kind of talk in that uh, I'm not going to be opening up a particular passage of scripture and unpacking that um, because it's our Vision Sunday. And as Neil said, it's actually the start of a five-week series looking at vision, looking at various aspects of the vision that we feel God has given us, what we feel God has been saying to us. And, uh, And of course, we believe that all of that is rooted in scripture. It's all about following what God is telling us to do. It's all about following his commands to us, following what he has revealed, living it out, what he's revealed in the Bible. And Vision Sunday is a great chance to do a couple of things. One is to look back and to give thanks for what God has done in the past. But of course, it's also a great chance to then look forward to what God is leading us into in the future. And it's also a great chance for me, uh, because this is my first Vision Sunday. So for those who don't know, I I took over senior leadership of the church in May from Neil, who's leading the meeting today. Neil led the church for 26 years. So this is a great chance for me to really lay out my heart for this church, our heart as a leadership team for this church, and to invite all of you to get caught up in what God is doing here, uh, to get excited about it, to be part of it, an active part of it, whether you've been here for many, many years or whether you've only just arrived. Now, I have to say, having only been a few months into this, into this role, uh, that I, there's still a sense of adjustment for me. I still kind of feel like I'm adjusting to this new season, sitting in the senior pastor's seat. And some days it feels very comfortable. Some days I wear it very comfortably. But then there is the odd day where I think, oh my goodness. They, they think I'm a lot better than I am. You know, there is nothing like leadership to make you aware or make you more aware of your many weaknesses and inadequacies. Now, thankfully, the Apostle Paul talks about God's power being made perfect in our weaknesses. So I can assure you there is plenty of room for God's power to break out here. But, um, you know, sometimes I, I kind of sit and ponder and, and, and I, my mind will wander to those who have gone before me. And I know that comparison is the enemy of joy, and it's not always good to go there, but it's also encouraging at times. So I think of those who have gone before. I think of Frank, uh, Frank Matthews, there he is. Uh, Frank, many of you here today don't know Frank or didn't know Frank. And of course, there are lots of people here who would have known him extremely well. But Frank founded the church along with his wife, Eileen. He led the church for many years. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to God for him. I'm really grateful to God for him, and also for the time I did get to observe him, time I got to spend with him. I really regret not spending more time with him, um, because you know when you spend time in the company of spiritual giants, not that Frank would have described himself like that, but something rubs off. It's kind of contagious. So I'm really grateful to God for, for Frank, for his life, for who he was, for what he did. I'm also very grateful to God for the many years I have got to see Neil 
close up, to, to observe him at close quarters, another spiritual giant, not that, again, he would describe himself like that, but he is, and I'm really, really grateful that Neil is still around. He's going to be a couple of days a week in the office, and part of his role is supporting me. So I'm really grateful to God for these two men of God, and it can sometimes feel a little bit intimidating. But like I said, comparison is the enemy of joy, so I don't go there. I'm not Frank, and I'm not Neil, so please don't expect me to be, and I know that you don't. But in those moments where sometimes I feel the responsibility weighs a bit heavier than usual, there are a couple of things that really strengthen me, a couple of things that get me through. Uh, One is the fact that Jesus doesn't ask me to carry that weight, because he's building his church, not me. That's tremendously liberating. It's so freeing that he says in Matthew 11, come to me if you're weary and burdened. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will give you rest for your soul. The fact that Jesus first caused me to rest in him and he first caused me to be a son. That is liberating. It's the same for all of us. He calls you first to be a son, to be a daughter of the living God. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The other thing that strengthens me, actually other than the great encouragement that I received from you, which is so valuable. Thank you so much for your encouragement. But the other thing that strengthens me is the fact that right deep down in my soul, I know, I have a conviction that I'm called. I'm called to this, that God has called me to this, that he he has put a fire in my heart, he's put a passion in my heart for this church, for King's Church High Wycombe, to see this church thrive, to see the name of Jesus exalted in this town. He's put that in me. He has called me, even with all my many weaknesses and inadequacies. And, you know, that's a passion that goes back a long way. It goes back more than 25 years to March 1994, when I first walked into a King's Church meeting up at Lady Verney School, which is not there anymore. Uh, having become a Christian early that week, I was 17 years old, I walked into that meeting And I knew I was home. It was a palpable sense of being home. God was in that place. And you could see it in the people. There was something so special about that gathering of people. And do you know what? There still is. There still is. Because I still speak to people today who have the same story. They, They say the same thing. People have arrived just in the last couple of weeks. The same story. God is in this place. I feel like I've come home. The people here are so special. And you are. You're amazing. The people of King's absolutely amazing. But I look back very fondly to that time. And it is good to look back. It's good to look back and give thanks to God for what he's done. You know, in the 50 years, it's been 50 years since God led a small group of people, five families, to move from Hayes in Middlesex to Hazelmere, up in the north of town, to the Manor Farm Estate, where we have a meeting now. Um, to, to, to have community and to meet for a Bible study that they'd already started back in Hayes. It's good to look back there and, and just give thanks to God for those people. The courage, the faith, the obedience of those people, and some of them are still here. So Jeff and Mim were part of that group. Many of you know well, Jeff will know Jeff and Mim. Uh, Keith and Di up in, up in Hazemere, Joy Lamb up in Hazemere, and there are others who maybe were not part of that uh, that original group but were there very quickly afterwards who are still among us and still very uh, a very active part of church life let's thank God for them for their courage and their faith let's thank God for the battles that they fought along with others because actually they were establishing what was then a very different way of doing church it wasn't the done way we take it for granted 
It was, it, was, it was a battle they had to fight then, and also a battle for the openness and expectation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit being alive, being in use to build up the body of Christ today. That was a battle they fought. Again, we can take it for granted. Let's thank God for those battles of faith that they fought, and thank God for the foundations of truth that were laid, the foundations of how we do church, the foundations of family, of community that were laid at that time. Let's look back and give thanks to God for those families who put their homes on the line to see this place built. 29 families that signed up their homes as collateral against the loan. If we defaulted on the loan on this building, they would lose their homes. That is some faith. You know what? That's a group of people who are, who are in that's a group of people who are excited about what God was doing in this church and in this town. Let's thank God for their faith and their courage. Let's thank God for the generosity of the people of the church that saw that loan paid off in half the time. I remember the moment when it was paid off. What a wonderful moment of celebration. Let's thank God for what he's done since. Increasing our number to first of all need to move to two morning meetings here and then to become a multi-site church with three meetings in two locations. God has done so much. We have so much to be thankful for. We can look back as well and look at all the stories of lives transformed. There are so many stories. There are too many, far too many to, to tell. There, one that, that always sticks out in my mind, one that I always think of, is Dave Richards' story. Bricky Dave, uh, as he was known, and uh, he's sadly no longer with us, but I can see from the smiles on some people's faces here that you are remembering the character that was Bricky Dave. Dave was a getaway driver in a criminal gang. He had been in prison, and the Lord intervened miraculously in his life. And he ended up being someone who went into prisons to tell people about Jesus. Now, that is the definition of our mission statement, which is to be and to see ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. But there are so many stories like that. There are so many stories of transformed lives, of people saved and people healed and people set free, as well as people who have just lived faithful lives. Lives of loving Jesus, lives filled with the joy of the Lord through incredibly difficult circumstances. It's just the grace of God. It's purely about his grace. Wonderful stories. We can look back and we can give thanks to God for all that he's done. What a story we have as a church. What an amazing story. But here's the thing. I know that he's not finished. And he has so much more for us. God has so much more for us. I look at what God is doing now in this church. He's still transforming lives. Every time we have a baptism service, we hear the stories. I was speaking to somebody just the other day about his journey out of alcohol addiction, how Jesus had changed him and shaped his life and intervened and how other Christians had got alongside him and that had been a major part of his journey. And he is now serving in our King's Table ministry that seeks to show the love of Jesus to those who are struggling with life-controlling addictions. Ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world. That's what we are about and I look at the gospel impact that we're now able to have as a, as a larger church with bigger resources. So through our CAP, Christians Against Poverty, our CAP Debt Relief Center, over 50 families debt-free through working with us. And many of those coming to know the Lord along the way. 
and, and through uh, our work with Wickham Homeless Connection and the Night Shelter, the lives we're able to impact through that, through King's Table I just mentioned. And we're still working really hard to get Azalea off the ground, which will be all about reaching out to those caught in the trap of sexual exploitation. Areas of the town that previously we would never have been able to reach, and now we can, and now we are. Praise God. And we're in places like Nepal. I mean, who would have thought it ever? Back at the start, who would have ever thought we'd be, there'd be a church called King's Church Kathmandu? And children's homes were involved in Nepal and influence in places like South Sudan through Jackie Marshall Ringer in the, the Middle East with Dan and Monica and so many other places over the years. God is doing so much among us. But here's the thing. I know he's not finished. He has so much more for us. And when I see the diversity in the church, it's just mind-blowing. Black and white, but also rich and poor and young and old, male, female, uh, single, married, and the whole realm of diversity, the the number of different nations that are represented here, it is mind-blowing. I just marvel at what God has done. And when I get to stand up here and get the privilege of seeing somebody respond to God in one of our meetings and give their life to Christ, what an amazing moment. And then they get baptized. It's just a privilege. God is doing so much among us. It's amazing. But here's the thing. I know he's not finished. And he has so much more for us. And to see the challenge for the next generation, for my generation and for those who follow, the challenge is to continue to build not settle. It's to continue to build on the foundations that have been laid. I mean, how many movements can you think of that started so strong? And then you think, what happened? I mean, I think, of the, I love the Methodists, but I think of the Methodist movement started out of a revival, full of the power, full of the fire of God. But now, how often do you pass in a village or a town a Methodist chapel that is empty or been converted into a house? You know, in any movement, the first generation or the first couple of generations, they're the pioneers. And so that movement has a massive impetus from those pioneers. But the question is always, will the next generation continue to build on that pioneering foundation? Continue to build, continue to shape, continue to change, to respond to the needs of that day while still remaining faithful and not compromising on the the core values and the roots of that movement. But will the next generation continue to build on the foundation or just get comfortable and just try to maintain what has already been built and end up fizzling out and becoming irrelevant to the world. Well, let me tell you, we have no intention, no intention whatsoever of getting comfortable. And I don't know how your heart responds to that, whether it's soaring or whether it's slightly nervous. We have no intention of getting comfortable, church. So it was about two and a half years ago that um, as a team of elders, the elders are the, the, the team of leaders who lead the church, we decided it was time to start seeking God on vision, on where God was leading us in the future, what, what he was calling us to set our sights on, to, to pray into, to, to dream about. So for many years, going right back to Frank's time when the church was quite small, there was this number of a 1,000 the vision to be a church of a thousand people. But amazingly, that started to feel too small. So a good Sunday, a strong Sunday attendance at the moment across our three meetings would be about 650 people. Sometimes that goes up into the 700s, sometimes it dips down into the 500s. But when all the stats suggest that actually on any given Sunday, probably a third of your people at least are not there. 
because people are away at this and that on holiday. A third of the people are not there. Well, you can see we're pretty close. Actually, on I know, on, on, on our database, uh, it would say we've got well over 1,000 people who have consented to us holding their details. At Easter, just gone, we had over 900 people in our three meetings. And so it was time to, to seek God again on what was next. What was beyond that? What's beyond being a church of 1,000? And so this has been a more than two-year journey on vision, it's involved uh, several people. So it's involved Neil, Neil Bartlett sitting down there, Richard Lodge, Ron Lamb, Francis Goss, Steve Wade, myself, Pete Flint, who's also sitting down there. Uh, don't worry if you don't know all those people. They are elders or were very up till very recently elders in the church. And there are many others who have fed into this process. It's a journey that's involved days away as a leadership team, lots of evening meetings, lots of prayer, some fasting, lots of discussion, more prayer. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that we've given this time. We've given it time to develop. We've given time for different voices to be heard, for people to discern what they feel God is saying, to submit that to one another, to let that sit for a while, to let it percolate and then come back to it again. So the result of that process, the vision that we feel that God has for us as a church, it's not just some impulsive great idea. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if God did this? Let's just shoot for that. It's not even a new leader wanting to make his mark. It is the result of much discernment, much prayer, um, much consideration. And it's a vision around which we as a team of elders and leaders in the church are completely united. Now, there are a couple of really important bits of context I just need to explain to you because they were massively important in shaping where we got to, a massively important part of the process. Two major things. One is the history of growth in the church, and the second thing is the influence of the prophetic. So let's just talk about growth for a minute, numerical growth. Growth has always been part of the DNA of this church. And I think it's a Holy Spirit-birthed desire that goes right back to pretty much the beginning to not settle and maintain, but to grow through seeing people saved. Not just to grow in number for the sake of it, but to grow through seeing people saved. I say pretty much back to the beginning because I know that those who moved over to Hazelmere in 1969, at the, at the beginning, they weren't having any thoughts of growth or even starting a church. But as soon as they started meeting in Frank and Eileen's living room on Sunday mornings in 1971, they, they started to grow. People were being added. People were getting saved. And, you know, as they outgrew that meeting space, it would have been very easy for them to say, but we like what we have. We like it here. This is, there's something special about meeting here in Frank and Eileen's living room. We, let's just protect that. Let's just guard it. Let's just maintain what we have. But they didn't do that. And what they did is they put money together, and they didn't have a lot of money, but they put money together and bought a big house on the Penn Road to create a bigger meeting space. That was what became known as the Living Waters Fellowship. It was a response to the growth that God had blessed them with, and it was about making more space for more growth in the future. And that's always been the case throughout the history of the church. Respond to growth, make space for growth, and God fills it. That's what's happened all through the history. Make space for more growth, God fills it. When the, when the house got too small, it was into local school halls. When the school hall got too small, this place was built. When this started to get too small, when it was to two meetings, two morning meetings. When they both started filling up, it's multi-site church. Three meetings on, on two locations. It's just in the DNA of the church. But you know, growth isn't comfortable. 
it can be very painful. So, for example, in the early days of the church, I know it was painful to go from meeting, sitting in a circle, to sitting in rows to accommodate more people because it touched a value about how they did church together, about how they met. But actually, there was a value that trumped that value, and it was to see people saved and to grow. It was more important, but there were people who couldn't get over that and left the church. It was painful. Building this place was painful because of the the, the sacrifice, the cost, the generosity that was required, and even now, the cost of running a building. (laughs) It's not always comfortable. Moving to two morning meetings, there was an element of pain in that, not only because of the step up that was needed in serving, but also because of the sense of separation. Well, I'm in the 9.30 meeting, and you're now in the 11.30 meeting, and we don't really see each other like we used to. And how much more was that the case with multi-site? An even greater sense of separation. There's a cost to this. There's a cost to growth. It's not always comfortable. It can be painful. And so you can see where the temptation comes from to, to say, no, let's settle. Let's, let's, let's stay comfortable with what we know, with what we're familiar with, and let's maintain what feels good and what feels comfortable. But this church has never done that. We've created space for growth so that God can fill it. And when God fills it, we go again. We go again. And we have created space. There are, there is, there's plenty of space in here. There are empty chairs. There's more space to put more chairs out. There's plenty of space in here. There's plenty of space in our other two meetings. So let's get praying that God fills that space. And let's get active ourselves. Take responsibility for filling some of these seats ourselves. So we can fill that space and go again. And see what God has for us next. You know, I mentioned earlier that even when the church was very small, there was this, this, this expectation, this vision emerged of being a church of a thousand. There's just an expectation for growth. And that history of growth, what God has done in the past, gives us a huge confidence as to what he will do again in the future. We have an expectation for growth. We have an expectation to see many people saved. We have an expectation to not just be a church of a thousand, but church of thousands. So that's been a massive, big shaping factor in our discussions on vision, this expectation of growth. The other thing is the influence of the prophetic, what has been spoken prophetically over us as a church, either through people who have a recognized prophetic ministry or through a word coming repeatedly from different sources to the point we think, I think God is trying to say something here. And there have been many over the years, but there are four in particular that have stood out for us. The first one is from many, many years ago, from around 1980, about being lights on the hills. Who, who, just put your hand up if you remember, if you were here as part of that. Lights on the, just put your hand up nice and high, see? Let's look around the room. Lights on the hills. But the essence of that word was this. It was, you are to be lights on the hills. A torch from which lights will be lit on all the hills around High Wycombe bringing men and women to salvation and deliverance and the fullness of the Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. That was a significant word for them then, for that small fellowship then, because I think by all accounts what the Holy Spirit was doing was shifting their focus from meeting for, for themselves to a shift of focus to High Wycombe and the surrounding area. We are here for High Wycombe. It was a significant word for them. It's still the word of God for us today. We are here for High Wycombe. We are to be lights on the hills. Another word was from Julian Adams in 2013. So it's part of our 40 days 
of prayer and fasting. And Julian, who again has a recognized prophetic ministry, he came and he said lots of things to us, but here's the essence of of what he brought. He said, God is going to bring a convergence of rich and poor in order to experience the truth and the life of God. He's going to cause a breakthrough in evangelistic potency and fruitfulness. And there will be an influx of people coming in from two different sides of society and encountering God as a result. And he also said, you have to think much bigger. Your five-year plan is too small. More recently, last year, just last year, we had this from uh, a guy called Phil Wilthew, who again is somebody from, with a recognized prophetic ministry. He didn't know anything about us. He didn't know us at the time at all. And this is what he said. And this one will be maybe familiar to you. We've, used, we've, we've had this in some of our gift day videos and, uh, and other things. It's a relatively recent one. He said, God is giving you the keys to the city. King's Church High Wycombe is coming into a season of favor in the town where you'll be invited to the table of influence. A church that will not be on the margins but in the center. A stakeholder of authority in the town. And this will particularly be in the area of social action in how you care for the poor and the most vulnerable. And Neil and I were up at Bedford when we received that and it was just a, oh, that's the word of God to us. Because we knew what was going on at the time, what we were planning at the time. That's the word of God. And then, of course, there is the prophetic word that was given to Neil three times from different sources back in around 2009. In Acts 18, God says to Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. I have many people in this city, and the Lord is saying to you, I have many people in this place. I have many people in this place. In a town of some 130,000 people, what does many mean? I have many people. In this place, these are significant moments where God has spoken to us, where what has been spoken has particularly resonated with us, and it's been weighed and it's been considered and it's stuck. This is God speaking to us, this is His word to us. And you notice it's always to do with growth, with impact, with influence, with High Wycombe. We've seen that growth, we've seen that impact develop over the years. But God is not finished. He has so much more. We believe there's so much more to come. And so with those shaping factors in the mix over the last couple of years, the expectation of growth, the influence of the prophetic, the vision that we feel God has given us, the the, the essence of what we feel that God has been saying to us is that he is leading us to be a diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. A diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. That there will be a point in the future when you'll be able to look at King's Church High Wycombe and describe the church like that. Now we're going to be unpacking some of this over the next few weeks. Um, There's also a bit more information in this vision booklet that you're going to be given at the end of the meeting. Um, There's a bit more information, more than I'm able to say here today. and as Neil said, those, those midweek prayer and fasting meetings and worship meetings, they're all built around that theme of surrounding and saturating High Wycombe with the love of Jesus, looking at different aspects of what does that really look like? How do we do that? Different aspects of what that looks like. And as, as Neil said, the first one is this Tuesday um, with Simon Holly. And again, I would encourage you, church, please, if you're able, fast on that day. I know it's not appropriate for everybody, so 
use common sense on it, but if you're able to, and even if you've never done it before, fast on that day, and then prioritize being there in the evening. There is power when God's people fast and pray. These are powerful times we're going to have together. So please prioritize being at those meetings. Please prioritize also being here on the Sunday mornings. But you can already see You can already see that the fulfillment of this vision to surround and saturate, that's going to require thousands. It's going to need to reach every area of this town, every community of this town. That's going to require thousands. It will mean other sites in the future to bring the light of the gospel into local communities. It will mean being creative about how we reach out to to particular communities who, as things stand now, they're not able to access our meetings for one reason or another. We need to not just be come and meet with us, but we're going to go to you and, and tell you the gospel and show you what, what the love of Jesus looks like. We need to be creative about that. We will need to be creative about what sites and congregations look like. Some big, some small, some with different styles to meet different needs, to reach different communities. We're going to have to be creative, and it will certainly mean that we ourselves, we will have to be surrounded and saturated with the love of Jesus for ourselves. Lives that point people to him. Lives that shine with the light of the gospel. Because this is never, ever just about building a big church. It's about building big people who will reach this town for Jesus. Big people who will go out and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Now, of course, the danger or the potential danger with vision is that you can focus so much on what is not yet at the expense of what is now of what we have in front of us right now, what the needs of the church are now, how we move forward from this point. And so to, to get very practical for a minute, and this is going to be very, very brief and more detail in this vision book, but I think there are three things that we must focus on, three things we must do as well and as faithfully as we can now, starting now. And the first thing is that we must pray. That's number one. We must pray. If we're to get anywhere near fulfilling this vision that God has for us, first, we have to recognize we're completely dependent on him. And so we must pray. The early church in Acts chapter 2 was described as being devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. We must be a church that is devoted to prayer. Devotion requires commitment. It requires sacrifice. It requires effort, energy. It requires a lot of love. We must be a church that is devoted to prayer. And Richard Lodge has been working on a number of ways over the last few months that we can become corporately and individually more devoted to prayer. And of course, the starting point is to be at those midweek meetings where we'll be praying into this vision. Um, But also, uh, the the, the second one of those midweek meetings will be with Pete Gregg, and that will be all about prayer and looking at the prayer course, which a few of our small groups are going to be running uh, next term, uh, and also look out for a new weekly early morning prayer and worship meeting starting October. It is a sacrifice, but look out for details of that and um, be there whenever you can. It's so important that we pray. The second thing that we must be very intentional about is growing people, growing ourselves and growing others. And uh, Rich Horn has been doing a great job of developing our approach to discipleship, and he's going to be speaking on this team in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to elaborate on that. And then the third thing is to continue to be very intentional and courageous about reaching out through bless, through all sorts of means, but to be very intentional about reaching out, and I'm going to be speaking on that more specifically later in September. And I believe that as we pursue those things, as we pray 
as we grow people, as we reach out, as we pursue and continue to pursue our mission of being ordinary people changed by Jesus to change the world, I believe that Jesus will build his church. He will build his church. You know, it's a big vision. It's a big vision. Humanly speaking, it seems impossible, especially when you look at how hostile the world is to the gospel and, and the battles that we face in our day, battles of, for truth, battles on areas like sexuality and all these other things, the battles of our day. Humanly speaking, this seems impossible, but thankfully our human limitations or the limitations that we feel the world puts on us, they are not the defining factors here because we serve a powerful God. You know, we are ordinary people, but we have an extraordinary God. He is a powerful God, and if this is his vision, it will happen. He will do it. He is a powerful God, and we have the privilege of being part of it. We have the privilege of partnering with God in this. We have the privilege of being part of this church, even with all of its shortcomings. And it might be for you, if you're pretty new to the church, and you've heard me tell stories of the past, you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but I don't feel connected to that story because, you know, I don't share in that story because I wasn't there at the beginning. It would have been quite cool to have been there, but I wasn't there at the beginning. I wasn't there when the King Center was built or any of these things, but you're here now. You're here now. You're here today. And so from this moment, from today, if you, if you feel that this is where God is calling you and if you listen to this vision and being part of this vision is something that makes your heart leap, it makes your heart soar, well, consider yourself from now a pioneer. Consider yourself a founder in this new season that God has for us. Be part of God's work from now and on into the future. A diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. This is what God has said to us. It's what God has said to us. It's the story he's been writing and that he continues to write into this church and into this town. And you know what? It's something that I, for one, I will gladly give my life to this. I, I will gladly sacrifice for this. To see people saved from hell, to see lives transformed, to see people healed and people restored and people set free. I am in, 100% in. And what I want you to do is to take this vision booklet away when it's given out to you and not just put it in the place where things gather dust, but to pick it up later today or pick it up tomorrow or pick it up at some point during this week and read through it. Remind yourself of what's in here and then think about it and ask God about this. Ask him about this. Ask him what your part in this is. Start praying now. There's something in here which will help you to start praying as well. But ask him, what's your part in this? Ask him to fill your heart with a fire, to fill your heart with a passion, to pursue this with everything you are and with everything that you have. It's a big and beautiful vision that will lead to thousands of transformed lives. And you know, whenever I waver a little bit, and I think, ah, it's just too, it's overwhelming. It's, or has God, is this really what God has said to us? Then I'm reminded of Genesis 18 where God says to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son this time next year. And it, it, that's just impossible. It's, an, it's a biological impossibility. And Sarah laughs. But what God says is this. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? A diverse church of thousands that surrounds and saturates High Wycombe with the love of Jesus. Can he really do that here in High Wycombe? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And so we must pray. We must pray for God's blessing. We must pray for his favor, pray for his power, pray for this town, for the broken, for the lost, for every community, and pray for ourselves to be willing 
and able to play whatever part he calls us to play. Amen? Amen.